Welcome to the Athletes Mindset Academy podcast, where we help gymnastics coaches and parents develop happy, healthy athletes who know how to win. Let's get started. Hey guys, it's Amy Twiggs. Erin McMullen is with us today, again, with a super cool <laughs> former coach of hers, a pitching coach that she's had, or she had, I guess, for years. And we're excited to hear from um, Heather Meyer, who is a family therapist as well. So we're going to get some good information, you guys. Heather has been working still in the athletic field, athletic realm, um, but she is trying to kind of move out of that a little bit, it sounds like, and just focus on her therapist practice. But we'll see. We'll find out more from her. But she has been helping so many people with their skills, their talents, as well as helping them with their mind and their emotions. This is going to be a beautiful opportunity for those who are struggling with any type of um, emotional, mental management to listen to a therapist, um, Heather Meyer. She's amazing. I'm excited to get to hear more about her. She's going to introduce herself instead of me taking time getting things wrong. <laughs> I do that often. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> pretty sure this is what I know about you. <laughs> So Heather, I'm going to let you and Erin, you pipe in and add to everything that Heather's saying because she just sounds like she's amazing from what you were telling me and everything that I've heard and read. So Heather, jump in, tell us your background about sports and then what led you to where you're at today. Okay, Amy, thank you so much for having me. And Erin, it's so nice to see you. It's been such a long time. It's been a long time. <laughs> um, I grew up playing softball and... Um, the the short of it i was telling amy i'm not a big talker and i'm definitely not um one to talk a lot about my accomplishments the short end is i had a full scholarship to university of washington um, i was a first team all-american there and we made it to the finals of the world series my senior year where we lost and um, after that i kind of left the softball world for maybe five years or so, and I coached at Cal State Northridge, which is a Division I school. I met the head coach. She offered me the job almost right away when she learned about my background, and I was there for four years, and I really, really enjoyed it, and it was then that I started to see the shift a little bit that I wanted to do something more with mental health, emotional health, because I recognized a lot of the struggles that the girls were having, I could really relate to in a lot of ways. And after I left Northridge, I was pretty much just doing private pitching lessons and I loved it. And again, it became a lot more than just skills and coaching. It became, you know, the girls calling me, asking me for advice, needing support, things like that. And um, finally, at about maybe 10 years ago, nine years ago, I went to school to get my master's degree to become a clinical therapist. Love it. So tell us a little bit about this. You just kind of breezed over, like you said, people have a tendency to almost feel like they're boasting when they talk about their accolades, where to me, it's one of those things I practice with athletes of, hey, it's not boasting when it's just truth. If you got the scholarship, obviously you had some type of talent as a pitcher to be able to play at UW, right? You said University of Washington? Yes. To be able to play there, you had some skill. What was your background of athletics? Did you have some mentors that you really looked up to, some things that helped you get to that spot to be able to get a scholarship there? 
Yeah, I, I definitely had a lot of mentors. I had a lot of good coaches. When I graduated high school, I was really young for my grade. I wasn't ready to go to a university. I started college at 17, which it's not as common now. Back then it was more common. So I went to our local community college and my freshman year, I was the Southern California Pitcher of the Year for junior colleges. And then my sophomore year, I was the State Pitcher of the Year. And then I was kind of late in the game, like going like, yeah, I really, I want to go to a big school. I was really ready at that point after being home for two more years to see something new, see something different and um, really kind of challenge myself. And so I really wanted a big athletic university with a really good program. And I got really lucky that um, I got recruited by Washington. So Heather, I don't believe in luck but I think they, they needed you just as much as you probably wanted to be there. <laughs> Thank that's, you. That's my two bits, because you, you're being very humble, I'm sure, and Erin could probably attest to that too. So Erin, how did you, it sounds like Heather, she was a pitching coach for you. So tell me a little bit about Erin and Heather. I was really little. So I was probably, I want to say 12, maybe when I started going to her. Um, my other friends went to her and I noticed that they saw success and, I was like, well, I want to, I want to be like that. I want to do that. So, um, I started going to Heather and we got into like, I mean, when you see someone for a week, like you just start to, or not for a week, but every week mm -hmm. you start to develop a bond and she was my coach, but she was also my friend. Like she could also come down to our level, um, explain things in a very simple way for us to understand and then um, as time went on, it's just like, okay, well, I don't have to tell you what to do. You're just going to do it. And I'm going to sit here and watch you and, you know, adjust, you know, what we have, what we have to. But then probably later into my high school years, like when I was being recruited um, by different division one schools and all that, um, we talked about obviously the recruiting process and getting ready for that. But I, I could just sit there and talk about, oh, what's the best tanner to use for prom or what's. <laughs> oh, this is what's happening in my little teen wife. You know, it wasn't always softball and always business, but she was more interested in me developing as a person too, mm -hmm. which was cool to see because you have advice coming from somebody that you look up to other than your parents. Because if my dad were to tell me something, I'd be like, oh, whatever. Like, you know, <laughs> it's one in your one ear out the other sometimes. And I would get mad at him and that's when I would throw harder. But... <laughs> but Heather was there to help keep me grounded and to just, you know, be that really strong mentor in my life going on and then competing in the Pac-12 and after. So sometimes it's easier to hear from somebody who does look up to you, Heather, uh, from their perspective, because it's like you said, not always comfortable to talk about our own amazingness, even though we're all amazing. So Heather, tell me a little bit about being a pitching coach. Since you finished pitching, you said the other thing I wanted to go over is you said you went to the World Series and then you lost and then you stopped playing. So that whole series of thoughts to me, I, I'm curious about that. You, Hold on. I just went on some tangents. So we have the World Series you went to, you lost, and then you stopped playing. Is it because you just kind of lost the love for the sport or you were just done? You felt you re reached your, your top at that point? That's one question. We'll go to the other one next. Um, that's a really good question. And I think at the time, um, I justified it however I could. Looking back, I think that it was kind of a way for me to trans, 
it was almost like, okay, that's done. What's next? You know, I graduated when I was 21 and 21 is pretty young mm -hmm. and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who I was. I, you know, I, I picked the easiest major in college. Like I just, I didn't know. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to close the store and move on. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was what I was supposed to do. And nobody was really telling me different. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. It wasn't so much that you were super devastated by the loss of the World Series. It was just you were ready to try something new because you didn't know anything else or have any guidance. Oh, I, w I was devastated oh, for were. sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was a lot of tears for a lot of weeks and a lot of um, just very overwhelming emotions that we feel with grief was really what I was going through, not knowing it at the time. Um, it was really... And it's interesting when people say like, well, you made it all the way to the championship and people don't understand. It's almost better to not go at all than to be that close. Mm -hmm. And whenever I watch a big game like the Super Bowl or any kind of championship, mm -hmm. it's the loot. It's whoever lost my heart breaks because that's what I can identify with. Which is so nice. I'm sure with your clients these days because you can um, understand when they were close, when they were making it to the nationals and then didn't get to go to the nationals because of the pandemic, you can empathize or sympathize or have compassion for those who are just um, really devastated or really grieving about the loss of a lot of things and even upcoming. There's still some seasons that are not certain. So I wanna talk about that. The other part is after you were able to move on, you didn't really move on. <laughs> Right. That's kind of the way it goes. So the post athletics is a hard transition for most of us who are high level athletes is it's hard to transition. So you were a pitching coach, luckily for Aaron, sounds like, how has it been to be a pitching coach and then to be transitioning out of pitching and out of the sport? And you still are, it sounds like, but how has that process been? So you went and you coached for a while and then you were a pitching coach. Yes, I, um, when I left Washington, I moved down to Portland and I worked for a company that worked really closely with Nike. So I felt like I was still kind of in the athletic world. Mm -hmm. And when I left um, Portland, I came back to LA, I did something really insignificant for a year. And then that's when I was approached by the Northridge coach to coach with her. Um, and then after those four years, after I left and I decided to focus strictly on pitching lessons, because that's really what I loved. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I loved it. Like, I, I loved the relationship with the girls. And like Aaron said, I, I think the way you worded it was I could come down to your level or something like that. To me, it was like I was yeah. just in it with them. Like, I really liked that I could relate to them. And I, and I remembered, like, the pain of high school and sports or no sports, just the emotional toll that it takes. And um, so, yeah, I was, I did strictly pitching for maybe six years, just doing pitching lessons, pitching lessons. And once I started grad school in 2011, I said, that's it. I'm not taking any more new people. I'm going to finish it off. And then I ended up taking one, the one I still have, mm -hmm. um, because I just couldn't say no. <laughs> and uh, I think she was eight at the time. So I still have another year with her. And I like that it's been a slow transition out yeah. because it's still on Sunday mornings. I've been coaching on Sunday mornings for, I don't know, 12 years. So it's just a nice, it's just a nice thing that I, I do. It'll be weird when I'm not doing it. 
Well, it's a way to give back too. And I think that's one thing is once you get to certain levels, you want to be able to help others reach their goals too. And it's just a beautiful, a beautiful way to help others. So I think it's great that you still have the one. Okay. So let's go over to what you're doing now, how you're helping ex-athletes, post-athletes. How, how do we say that? After sports, what you do when sports is, is over and what you do. We call them parts. They're formerly or formerly athletic retired people. <laughs> Did you say FARP? Yes. FARP. F-A-R-P. That's what like us graduates at Dixie call each other. They're like, oh, it's the FARP event now, like alumni games or something. So Right. right. Well, so we all are, are FARPs then. Yeah. <laughs> and I how- thought you said farts, so I, I'm glad. I know. It's I, know. <laughs> I got the messy way to pee. So tell me about clients that you work with that are transitioning out of sports that are having a hard time because it is a grieving process there too. So tell us a little bit about what you do for them and what you suggest for people who have a hard time. I think there's a lot of those kind of emotions going on for those who didn't want to be done too. So yes, and I don't like my and my focus definitely isn't athletes. I would love for it to be athletes. Um and I I the the athletes in particular that I have a lot of transitions they're transitions like whether it's transitioning from high school to college from college to real life from sports to no sports transitions are really difficult and especially when you're young and a lot of times I find the people like with athletes athletes are a different breed like I was at an alumni event a couple years ago. And after the event, I was talking to one of my teammates who graduated when I did. And we were trying to think like, what's the word? Like when we're all together, like there's, you know, things get done and we're like, we're efficient, you know, like this needs to get done. You do this, you do that. We'll come back here. This will be, you know, like, it's just, it's a whole different feeling when you're surrounded by athletes. Right. And so with transitions, you know, there's so many different things with, because it's grief, it is absolute 100% grief, whether you had a good time, whether you had a bad time, whether you were as successful as you wanted to be or not. And it's a lot of avoiding the, the minimizing of how serious that loss is and finding ways to really honor that and honor the good things, the bad things, the challenges, what you didn't like. Cause a lot of people are really afraid to say, this was awful. You know, this was damaging. I'm traumatized. And then because we want everyone to say like, Oh, what a great experience. I had a scholarship. It was great. And that's not everyone's experience for, for any number of reasons. That's fascinating, actually. I find that there's the idea that people say they fell out of love, which I said earlier, and I caught myself, I didn't say anything about it, but did you fall out of love with your sport? I feel like sometimes people find excuses um, to get out of their sports and reasons not to like their sport so they can get out of their sport. So they feel like it's legitimate that they don't want to be in it. And then there's those who want to be in it so bad and the, the seasons end quickly and they don't want that to happen. Like you said, it doesn't matter if it was a great opportunity or a terrible opportunity, a terrible experience, uh, grieving is grieving and, and moving on. And there's still a loss there, whether you don't want it, you know, to be participating or whether you wish you were still participating, there's still the transition and transitions are different, uh, difficult and, and hard, like you said. So, so what do you do? What do you tell people who let's just focus on 
Um, maybe just the post athletes, the FARPs. Erin, <laughs> thank you. something <laughs> <laughs> new today. You said to honor the good and the bad, right? And and mm -hmm. recognize the fact that not every part of their athletic experience was beautiful. Maybe that's part of a a healthy way of um, feeling. Uh, like you can transition in a smooth way is just realizing that maybe everything wasn't okay. Maybe everything wasn't perfect and that's okay too. And I love that you said maybe honoring both parts, both sides. Is there anything else that you would suggest for those who are trying to transition, I guess is the best word that I can think of from their life, wherever they are, whether it's like you said, high school to college, sports to no sports, you know, pandemic to no pandemic. That's all transition, Right. Right. But what else can we do? What else do you have to suggest maybe for people or let's just focus on the athletes because that's easy for us. What would you, what else could you say other than? Well, with, with some athletes or overachievers in any kind of sense, which athletes are, right? It's, it's work ethic, it's discipline, it's perfectionism. It's very black or white. Either I won the world series or I'm a total failure, right? Mm -hmm. So I can relate to that mentality. And it really is about finding in what ways did that serve you? What ways did it harm you? And when we're looking at that perfectionistic thinking, how is that helpful to you now? How is that harming you now? And what do you want to do different? Mm -hmm. And part of being a therapist for me, well, for every therapist is meeting the client where they're at. So if they want to be sad and mourn and cry, then let's be sad and mourn and cry until we're ready to do something different. Mm -hmm. And again, that goes back to really honoring and being in the grieving with whatever, it could be the loss of a pet, you know, your car getting towed and you can't get it out of impound. And this was the car you had for 20, you know, it could be a, a magnitude of different things, but with athletes, because of the, the, the drive and the expectations of self in particular, mm -hmm. Um, it's rarely the expectations of others that we are holding so, you know, like a vice grip. It's the expectations of self. And how is that hard? How is that helpful in post-athlete life? How is that helping you now? What parts of that are you willing to let go of? Mm -hmm. And how do we do it like bit by bit, step by step, so it's not such a shock? I think that interesting question that you said, what parts are you willing to let go of? Because a lot of times we don't want to let go, even though we think we can or we think we do. I think there's a lot. I th thank you for that suggestion. I hope you guys are listening. The idea that if you just want to be sad, be sad. Let's just be sad. If you want to be happy, be happy. If you don't want to let go of parts of the sport and you want to go be a pitching coach and a college coach and you want to give back in that way and stay involved in that way, do it. You don't have to. You don't have to. It doesn't look the same for everybody, I guess, is kind of what I'm seeing from what you're saying, is that everybody's experience is different. Yeah, and one thing I want to add too is when we're teenagers, it's such an important stage of development where we're trying to figure out who, like what our identity is, what we want to, who we want to be, how we want to present in the world, what we stand for, what we believe in, our moral values. And when you are so hyper-focused on one thing, you're going to go through that stage. You may just go through it a little bit later. And so I think that is kind of what I did, right? Like, well, it's not softball, you know, it's done, like, you know, no more. So, um, you know, HBO had a great special with Olympic athletes and like that, like, what do you do? There's this, 
someone was saying there's a realization when you're on the bus to your event mm -hmm. that when you get back on the bus, it's done. Mm -hmm. Who are you if you're not Michael Phelps, the Olympian swimmer, swimmer? You know, who are, what's my debt? Who am I? And when you're that young, it can really lead to a loss of sense of self, depression, anxiety, confusion, feelings of guilt and shame, feelings of worthlessness. I mean, it's really overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that you brought all that up. I think that's really interesting because when you ask people, especially athletes who they are, they tell you their sport. They don't tell you who they are. And the separation of the person from anything, doesn't matter if it's sports or if it's a animal, somebody who loves animals. I think that you're saying that the, we all have to eventually figure out who we are, who we stand for, what we want to be, you know, what, what other parts of us bring us joy. We might find joy in this one area, but that's not the only source of joy in life. It just is what we think at certain stages of our life is the only source of joy. And so I love that you said eventually everybody does still have to go through that, that stage where they have to figure out who they are outside of sports. During sports, it's easy to distract yourself with finding out what you really love what you really enjoy. Maybe you don't even know that you like to read or you don't like to read. You just, you know, you don't know if you really love the sport or not. You just do the sport, right? So I think it's fascinating that you said eventually everybody still has to go through that same thing and figure out what it is. And maybe you learn it when you're younger. Maybe you learn it when you're, you know, 50, 60, 70. We all have to figure out what is it that we want to stand for. I think that's one of the phrases that you said. Yeah, and I, I also work um, in substance abuse. I've been working in addiction pretty much since I graduated with my master's degree. And people who are avid drug users from 13, 14 year old, years old until they're 30, mm -hmm. they have to go through that stage. Like you're gonna go through it. And it can be really kind of ego crushing when, okay, now I'm 30 or now I'm 21, I'm no longer a softball player. Well, what, do I, what am I supposed to do now? Like, what do I do now? I don't, I don't have any job experience. I don't have, I know my work ethic. I know my value as an athlete. And that's really difficult to transition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That transition, yeah, that word comes up quite a bit. I, I just think it's fascinating. I think there's a lot of transitions going on right now that a lot of people are struggling, struggling with. When you talk about addictions, do you find that people with drug abuse are just as addicted to drugs as athletes are to sports? Because in my head, it's kind of, it's different for sure. But there's like that dopamine, there's the chemicals that make us think that we need this thing to be happy, right? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, with addiction, it's so, it, when you're, when you're a complete full-blown addict, you know that it's damaging, you know that it's harmful, and you know that you are trying to check out from reality in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. And as an athlete, it's more, um, it's more of a, maybe a drive. It's that perfectionistic thinking, like, I, you know, I'm just going to stay one more hour. I'm just going to pitch for one more hour. I'm just going to do batting practice for one more hour, you know, and that just keeps going and going and going. I think it can be addictive like behaviors. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of athletes turn to drugs and alcohol. I mean, why wouldn't they? I mean, look at these Olympians, their entire life from the age of whatever, mm -hmm. and then it's done. Who am I if I'm not an Olympian? I don't have any other skills. I don't, you know, and I'm not, 
not to knock them and not to say anything bad, but like the devotion is so um, intense that I, you know, Michael Phelps with those couple of DUIs. And I remember thinking at the time, like, I don't blame him. Like, what is he supposed to do now? He's never, probably never been wasted, probably never been high. Like, you know, he missed out on that critical stage where he would have been doing those things. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting when you say that somebody's really addicted to something, they're checking out from reality and the profession, the perfectionistic thinking is for me, the idea of wanting to just do one more, one more swing, one more bat, one more pitch gets to be obsessive too. Just like an exercise person who goes from a half hour to four hours a day, everything gets to be a a, a little bit carried away when you forget that there's something outside of just that thing that can make you happy. And I think that's part of the emotional management that, that I'm sure you work with your clients on is, is the joy is in, in you, right? It's not in the pitch. It's not in the drugs. It's not in the swimming. It's not in the gold medal, but the emotion of peace and happy and those things, you, you can't find it outside of getting to know who you are, like you were saying. Right. And when you have no idea or even a jumping off point and you don't even know where do I start? Like, what do I, where do I go from here? And um, something you were saying made me think of, I, I work with so, I don't know why young people really seek me out. I have a lot of maybe like 17 to 29 year olds, which I love. I love that demographic. And it's interesting, especially with the pandemic and people doing school from home and especially in college, there are kids who were in college who are now at home, who are being micromanaged by their parents, who have no, I mean, it's so important to have privacy and to be reckless and to uh, take risks and learn Mm-hmm. from life and people aren't getting the opportunity to do that right now mm-hmm. and um I forget where I was going with that oh so with um a lot of my high school students who are home and their parents are you know they're looking at their grades and they can go into the zoom you know like there's all kinds of things and so now they're working to get their parents approval and to get you know I'm so proud of you you did so well and that also on the flip side, I'm so disappointed. What have you been doing that you haven't been able to do this work? Where I don't know if I would, if I, I thank God this didn't happen when I was in high school. I don't know what I would be doing. Like that would be crazy. Yeah. Being stuck at home, no privacy. You're doing school. You miss out on, uh, you know, running into your friends in the hallway and gossiping and talking and, you know, sneaking into the bathroom and doing whatever it is that you're doing. Like you're, you're missing out on all of that. I know that I have a son that was a freshman in college and he was so excited about the freshman experience and he was on his floor with no RA, with nobody else on his floor for the first six weeks and he just barely moved back home and he's trying to figure out where does he want to move to next because everything's online so he can move anywhere. But that's essentially what, what was going on, Heather, is just that um, is, is he wants to be able to have those moments where he has his own privacy, his own world, he gets to do his own thing and I think exactly what you're saying there's probably a lot of them out there going, I'm back at home. Are you kidding me? Like, this is not, this wasn't the plan, even if this is online, right? So what do you, what do you say for those who are struggling with, they don't want to be lonely in a dorm room with no roommate and it's just them and a laptop, but they're also not getting the experience of 
of having their own privacy, of having their own life, of running into friends, of doing things that are just kind of, you know, like you said, reckless. Not that we encourage recklessness, but there's those things where sometimes you just have to be able to right. make choices that, that your parents aren't saying that was a terrible idea. You just get to figure out the consequence of it, right? Right, and hope your, ne your parents never find out, right? Like that's what we do in college. We do a lot of reckless stuff and learn from it and then make better decisions next time, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and then this come out later. Oh yeah, I was doing this one time and then they laugh and you laugh, but then still, <laughs> no. Yeah. And yeah, and with, um, with the students that I have and we just try to explore like, what could you possibly do that will bring you any amount of joy? Mm. What can you do that will bring you some privacy? Can you go and meet with some friends in the park? Can you go? Um, and you know, like the other thing with the pandemic right now is I think society as a whole has this idea that kids are at home and they're in their room and they have their laptop. There are people who live in abusive homes who aren't getting enough food. And, you know, I have a couple people just bouncing around couch surfing, just trying to find a safe place for the next few weeks because their college is closed down. Um, so the, the things that I, you know, a lot of it is validating because I, what am I going to say? Like, oh, everything's going to be okay. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know if, it, I don't know when it's going to be back. It might get worse before it gets better. So that's so, what the parents could do. It's just a lot more validation and maybe a lot less micromanaging <laughs> for those athletes that have to be home and those students who are coming home from college trying to figure out their next step. Is that what you're suggesting? Yeah, I mean, because I, I work with so few parents, so few parents, like most of my clients are the students and it's, you know, what, what can, what would your parents be on board with? Or do we want to bring your parent to session? Can I help you communicate something to them? Something that you need, something that you want. Um, and a lot of sessions I have, you know, people go and sit in their closet and I do my, cause all my sessions are video right now. They just, they have no privacy. And when you're, eight, could you imagine being 17, 18, 19, 20 and having no privacy? Yeah. Like yeah. it's one of the most important things at that age. Yeah. Autonomy, privacy, being, going through that stage of development to figure out who you are. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that you've, you've said a couple of times, I think is really important is realizing this is maybe a great time for all of you athletes who aren't able to be in sports and in practice to try to figure out who are you with and without sports. I mean, w without being able to play every day, are you still practicing? Without being able to play sports every day, do you like hanging out with you? I mean, that's a, that's a hard one. That's a whole different world is just being you and learning who you are and if you like you. <laughs> or can you focus, you know, if you always wanted to learn to code. I have a client who always wanted to learn to code. So he took a coding class and he's like, well, that sucked. I'm like, great. Now, you know, you don't like it, right? Perfect. I'm so glad you did it. Do you want to learn to play an instrument? Like there's so many things that you can do if you need to put that, that discipline and that energy into something, mm -hmm. it can be something else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that too. Cause there is so much drive in athletes and they want to be doing something and something productive and something that gives the rewards the dopamine hits the things that they want to feel like i'm doing something i don't know what it is but i'm doing something you know so i love that 
hey, um, so I don't know if I, if I should be calling you Heather Meyer or Dr. Meyer or how I'm, I, don't, I just realize I'm not even addressing you probably in your professional name, but I'll just call you Heather since I started with that. <laughs> Heather, Heather's perfect. I'm not a doctor. Heather's perfect. Erin, <laughs> do you have any else, anything else to throw in before I ask Heather to leave us with something that she can share with any athletes, any, any young adults that might be struggling right now in, in these days with depression, anxiety? That's what I want to leave you with, Heather. But Erin, do you have anything else to add? Um, personally, like I've, I've gone through this You're like, like we've talked about before, you come from being an athlete and getting the recognition and, oh, good player, good pitch, or, you know, that was an amazing game. Well, now like you have to create that your like yourself and you have to like kind of validate yourself if you've done something good in the adult world. And then with this pandemic thrown in, it's like, what am I supposed to do? And if you're like my husband and I, we're both busy bodies. We have to be doing something. And if we're not, then we feel like it's just not going to be a good day. But what Heather said is, you know, you just have to focus on taking it bit by bit to transition to whatever normal we're going to be at. And I think taking it day by day is probably the best advice that I've ever gotten from Heather, from my parents, like with anything. So I love that. Thank you. Heather, is there anything else that you want to leave for, for the listeners, those who are listening, those who are struggling from a therapist's point of view, is there anything else that you can offer these student athletes, students? Yes. If, if you, if you think that, something isn't right. Trust your instinct. Like there are two people in the world that I trust and that's teenagers and drug addicts. They know how to read a room. They have great instincts and they haven't been so jaded as adults where we're saying like, Oh, don't overreact. Oh, it's okay. Teenagers and drug addicts, they know how to read a room and they know when something's wrong. And if you feel like something is wrong, seek out help. Even if you're an athlete and you can't find a therapist who specializes in athletes, talk to somebody, find somewhere safe, someone who doesn't know you, who is not going to give you advice, who's just going to be in it with you. Because that's what we do as therapists. We're, we're in it with you. We're problem solving with what you, with the tools that you have. And um, so if you're struggling, if you're depressed, if you're anxious, if you're noticing you're having a lot of people are talking about physical symptoms right now. Um, they're having difficulty concentrating. Their, their, their breath is really shallow. Their heart is beating. That's anxiety. That means something is wrong. If you can't get out of bed to go to your Zoom classes, something is wrong. Mm. Talk to anybody. And right now with, um, with insurance plans, they are being so generous with mental health coverage because they know that people are struggling. So just reach out, see somebody. If again, trust your gut. If it, if it doesn't feel like a good fit, go on to somebody else. Find someone that can hear you and who can be in it with you. I love that. Thank you for that plug. I think it's so important right now. Thank you so much for your time too. Heather, you guys, if, if uh, Heather, if anybody wants to reach out to you, is there a contact that you're willing to share with everybody? Um, yes, they can email me. It's Heather LMFT. It stands for Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist. So Heather LMFT at gmail.com. I am licensed in California. I can only see clients who live in California. Uh, but any general questions, I would be happy to answer. Well, thank you so much. You Californians, you are lucky. 
Thank you for your time, Heather. Erin, thank you for introducing us all to this wonderful woman. We appreciate your insights, your advice, your tips. And you guys, if you didn't hear what she just said, I'm going to repeat. Make sure you go seek somebody out if you feel like something's off. Just go get some help. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. So, <laughs> okay, you guys, listen. I know that I like to do this for some reason lately, but as soon as I'm done with a cool podcast, I start asking more questions. And Heather, because she's a therapist, she has some good insights that I think is worth listening to. So we're going to just kind of add a couple more things at the end here. Heather, tell us just in these days, what does depression look like? For those who, like you said, I just met, mentioned, I didn't realize somebody who has a hard time getting on an online class and getting out of bed is such a problem. And I'm so glad you said that. So tell us a little more about yeah, that. Yeah. And what, um, what Amy and Aaron and I were talking about is a lot of time with our parents or with our friends or our spouse or children, whoever, um, when we're telling them we're feeling sad or depressed and they say, well, if you take a shower and go for a walk, you're going to feel better. There are times when people cannot physically do that. If you cannot get out of bed, if, if something in your daily life is impaired, like showering, eating, drinking water, working, studying, that is an indication that something is wrong. And if you are in the same pajamas for three days, you know, rolling out of bed, just clicking on your Zoom classes or clicking into your Zoom meetings at work, and you just can't, like you, because depression is debilitating. It can be absolutely paralyzing. And some of us don't really recognize that that's what depression is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there, you know, I've had people who our goal, our goal is they brush their teeth once a week. Like that is the goal. That is what we agreed on. Mm -hmm. That is depression. And my goals for me, if I'm depressed, are going to be different than if it's Amy or if it's Aaron, because I don't know what they're willing to do or not willing to do. The idea with it is to set your up, yourself up for something that you know you can do. And if it's brush your teeth once a week, then yay, we hit our goal. Like we did it. It's a success. Mm. And it's to start out small. Thank you. Start out small. And that's what Erin was saying that you've taught her is bit by bit, just day by day. I love that. I hope you guys, I just, I, I love that you just kind of went through a few things of what depression looks like. So I think that some of us, especially parents, may not think of these things as really depression. If they see their adult child coming back home and the adult child's missing online classes, there could be something more going on, like you were saying. So I appreciate that. Yeah. And any change in behavior indicates that something is wrong. And there's, of course, like feelings of sadness, hopelessness. There's the, the thoughts, difficulty concentrating. But to, to see it and to see the behavior changes, to know like those are some things to look for. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I hope you guys appreciate that addition. For those of you who are looking at your adult children, your young, your teenagers, and your young or yourself, right? Or yourself, or yourself yeah. Right? <laughs> Maybe kind of go back through and, and look at that checklist that Heather just gave us and see if there's any of those things that are different than what you normally would be doing and see if you're struggling. So thank you. Anything else? We're good here. <laughs> you guys, I, as, soon as, we, as soon as I stop this, I'm going to say, Heather, now tell me about this. I'm going to want to start it again, but we'll just have her on another time to focus on some other topics too. So thank you so much, Heather. And thanks, Erin. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. We believe that you've got this, but we would love to help you in your athletic journey. We know you need to get maximum results in the shortest time possible. So we've created a program with short, effective lessons and coaching that you can fit between practice and the rest of life. 
We coach parents, coaches, and athletes in the mental and emotional health tools they need to create an environment for athletes to thrive. Invest in the one thing that will have the greatest impact on your success, your mind. Check us out at athletesmindsetacademy.com. Let's do this.